Nobius Nutrition spent all day at the farmer's market, and we're not mad about it. This is a one-hour food fight against diet culture and its fake science messages. Instead, we're passionate about celebrating real wellness. I'm registered dietitian Hannah McGee. And I'm neuroscience PhD student Tarek Youssef, and this is No BS Nutrition. Hello, everyone. Hi, Terry. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm so excited to be recording again. Um, for everyone who's been following along with the podcast, we had been recording really far in advance um, at first. You know, the first like nine episodes we yeah. recorded from like October to December 2019, and we didn't actually right. release an episode until. January 2020. Um, right. So now we've caught up. Finally, remember how we, we used to say, you know, eventually we'll be caught up. Now we are caught up. Eventually we'll be caught up in topical. Like, I can't believe we get to be topical. I know. <laughs> so, I mean, we won't talk about what we're talking about yet, but I, I'm so excited for what we're going to talk about later. Yeah, me too. I'm very excited. Um, so Tarek, you look great today, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we, oh yeah. So for everyone listening, we are not together today. We're actually recording, um, what's the right word for this? Um, We're using the internet to yeah. record from two different places. Um, we, so I actually moved out of Nova Scotia since our last recording um, session. I now reside in the beautiful Moncton, New Brunswick. A massive applause from the audience. <laughs> Everyone's cheering. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we had to kind of figure out how we were going to record our final episode of season one, and we're, we're doing it online. We're absolutely sponsored by Zencaster, <laughs> you know, <laughs> use that affiliate link. Just kidding. Okay, seriously, though. <laughs> oh, whoa. Um, okay. Well, okay, this is great. I, I'm really happy. I guess I will say, I'm really happy we still get to do this, even though you're far away, but mm-hmm. I, I do miss you. And I, and you know that, but I, I think we're seeing each other fairly soon. Yeah. Not like this weekend, but next weekend. Not this weekend yeah. coming, but okay, the well, that's great. I'll be, I'll be back in, in the big city of Halifax. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm really looking forward to coming and visiting you. Yeah. The pictures of your place look great. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's still coming together, but um, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, okay, so I guess, should we dive right into the BS of the week? I guess I'm kind of so. nervous about this one. So I'm <laughs> so curious as to what you picked. Okay, so I, um, I want to preface this BS of the week by saying I am a registered dietitian. So my expertise, you know, lies in food and nutrition. I'm not a sleep psychologist or doctor or any anything like that so this bs of the week is it's not really nutrition related it's more wellness related um and i want to thank actually 
Patricia Paulson for, for bringing this one up to me. Um, she's a friend of the pod. So if you're listening, Patricia, thank you. Thanks, Patricia. Um, yeah. So she kind of brought this up to me. Um, and, and she asked me, she was like, do you know what this is? And I was like, I have no idea. And I looked into it. And- you know, people have been asking me to do wellness debunking. And I'm like, that's interesting. Like, I wonder if we can do that on the pod. So I'm excited you're bringing Yeah, it. I mean, it, you know, like, it has to do with health and well-being and, and, and sleep, apparently. So um, let's just get into it. So I'm, I'm almost like scared to say it because I just want to, I don't know what your reaction is going to be. But what I want to, and I guess with this one, I'm not, I mean, I kind of am calling BS on it, but mainly because I, you know, I did my research and there's really no evidence to support it, not Okay. From the same point that I'm like a professional in that realm and, and calling BS, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, yeah. So the topic I want to have a discussion about for our BS of the week is something called mouth taping. Okay. You, I've never heard that. Have, okay. You haven't heard of it. So when Patricia first brought it up to me and she was like, what the hell is mouth taping? I was like, I don't know. Does it have something to do with like taping your mouth so you don't eat? Like that's what the first thing I oh okay. where my mind went. Like I was like, is that like some extreme dieting like practice that you like tape your mouth shut so you can't eat or something like that? Anyways, right. it's not. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with eating. But essentially, mouth taping is when you tape your mouth shut when you go to sleep. Okay, so, so what you like don't so you don't breathe through what? your mouth like drool. No. Oh, breathe so through it, your mouth. it forces you apparently <laughs> okay. to breathe through your nose. Um, so I looked into it, and and what I found is that mouth taping kind of originated um, based on this technique called the buteco technique, which is okay. like a breathing technique that's essentially like intentionally breathing through your nose. Um, okay. and supposedly like these, these claims say that like breathing through your nose is better for you and it, it leads to better sleep and, um, you know, breathing through your mouth has negative effects like, you know, like snoring and, and bad breath and dry mouth and, um, stuff like that. So anyways, I, I had to read into it because I was like, this sounds crazy and it doesn't sound sure. safe like taping your mouth shut when you go to sleep. I don't know. No, it doesn't. It doesn't even sound comfortable, let alone right. safe. Exactly. So I looked a little bit. Um, let me see what I looked in. I'm just looking at my notes here. Um, so this buteco technique, first of all, this breathing technique was developed in 1952 by Dr. Konstantin Pavlovich Buteco. Um, and his breathing cool. technique it was designed to improve functional breathing patterns. Um, so anyways, that's kind of where, I guess, taping your mouth shut encourages you to breathe intentionally through your nose. I guess that's kind of the connection between mouth taping and this. And is there really technique. an actual benefit to breathing through your nose versus breathing through your mouth? I have, you know what, I didn't um, look a lot into that, but the claims are that, yeah, like, like that are breathing through their mouth, I guess that makes sense for them. But for like, I don't know, the general population. Well, like if you have sleep apnea too, like I think, I mean, I don't know too much about it, but I think like your actual trachea starts compressing. Like it's right. more than just like 
the mechanics of breathing with your nose or your mouth, but it's your actual airways. Right. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So let me just see. So some, like I said, some more extreme claim, claims about mouth breathing are worsened asthma and like some article, like it was so, I'm assuming it's so bullshit, but it was like, it may cause cognitive dysfunction due to deprivation of oxygen to organs like the brain. Wow, that's a really big claim. Yeah, that's a huge claim. (laughs) Um, I feel like a lot of people I know are like, are people who like breathe with their mouths. Oh, I do. So this is why, like, well, personally, I was really interested in this because, and I mean, we can get into this a little bit, but I like, I can't breathe through my nose. (laughs) Like, I probably should talk to my doctor about it. But you've been doing fine, is yes, what I'm, I'm t- totally fine, and my sleep is fine. Like I'm not like totally fatigued. I'm such a quiet breather. Like I literally like if it, there's a spy agency out there who's like looking to hire someone who's not going to be noticed in a crowd. Like I am so silent that <laughs> it allows me to hear. Like I just hear other people breathing all the time, so I really pick up on like, oh, this person's a really loud breather, and I don't make any like. Uh, judgment on that like I don't pass any judgment about it but I'm really aware of it because of how quiet of a breather I am so what I'm trying to say is like I I notice like there's a lot of people out there who breathe really loudly with their mouths like all the time right and they're like they're doing fine in life right no 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 Um, I'm not saying you do but I'm just saying like in general yeah so I was talking to I was talking and I mean loudly like not even loudly but like just because I'm so like, you have to check my pulse to see that I'm still there. That like, I just notice it so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, last night I was telling my boyfriend, Pat, about, um, you guys met Pat uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> Pat, friend of the pod. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was telling him about, you know, this BS of the week and mouth vaping. And, um, and I was telling him that like, I can't breathe through my nose and he was like so even like in yoga or like meditation you don't breathe through your nose and I was like most of the time no like I try but I I don't get enough oxygen when I breathe through my nose I don't know if it's because I have like just kind of general allergies and like my nose is always a little stuffy or maybe sure yeah I don't know like I don't know what it is but I should talk next time I go to the doctor I'm gonna bring that like here you are thriving you you're an entrepreneur you've got a degree under your belt (laughs) so I want to talk a little bit more about what I read about mouth taping so yeah um the first I just like did a quick like google like what is mouth taping or because I literally had no idea and the first article that came up was like a pro mouth taping article and oh, like a scientific article or just no, like, no, 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 a, sorry. Kind of like, like a layman's article, article online, not a scientific okay, article. Okay, okay. Um, we will get into the science behind this. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm so excited. Spoiler alert, there is none. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. That's, oh, go, you caught me off guard there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm losing it. Okay. <laughs> um, so the first online like article written by who wrote it no one with any sort of like just a journalist a journalist wrote yeah it. yeah yeah um no, sorry they have, <laughs> just they a, have journalist. a journalism degree we love we love journalists we love journalists <laughs> they don't have any sort of science or medical yeah they're not an expert in the field of mouth taping yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah 
Okay. So I don't know why I'm laughing so much. Um, I just want to read a little um, quote from it. So it says, hold on, let me just see where. Okay. I know what you're thinking. Here we go again. Another useless health scam. While mouth taping, taping your mouth shut while you sleep might seem like your typical weird wellness trend. It's actually grounded in serious science. So anyways, that's like the first sentence of the article. So I was like, oh, like, I guess I'll I'll read more. So I kept reading and it talks about what it is and, and, um, and apparently like some dentists recommend it. And, and I don't know, there's this journalist interviews a dentist, um, a family and sleep medicine dentist says that oh, okay. um, when you breathe mainly through your nose, you wake up feeling more rested without a dry mouth or sore throat. And so this dentist... I mean, maybe, sure. Right. So this dentist recommended that this person try mouth taping and they tried it. This journalist tried it and they claim that like it totally like transformed their sleep and they felt so more energized and whatnot and anyways the article goes on and they talk about this and um their experience with mouth taping and then at the end um the final paragraph says although burke burhan which is the dentist that she interviewed has seen many success stories in his own practice there have not been any scientific studies to confirm that the mouth taping is an effective technique for improving sleep Oh, way to bury the lead so like, there. I hate when they do that. Serious science that you're talking about. Like I mean, that's clickbait. Just to like to get to the bottom of the article and then yeah. finally tell you the truth about it. Yeah. I can like, also be, see it being really, science. really dangerous for some people who might have some symptoms, maybe even undiagnosed of sleep apnea, and in the middle of the night if they have their mouth taped and then their uh their uh airways start closing up, like I don't right. know, like you could suffocate or something. Exactly. So that's like the next article, um, again, not a scientific one yet, that I read was written by, is it this one? A, or a, they had interviewed like another doctor, um, a medical doctor. Um, not that there's any, not I don't have anything about dentists, but this, I'm just clarifying, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> just clarifying yeah. the difference. Um, yeah. And- We're making lots of enemies today, journalists, <laughs> dentists. <laughs> I love them all. But this is what, you know, they kind of brought that up and they said like actually in sleep apnea, um, when you have that like apneic or is that, am I saying that right? Um, or that period of apnea that like you, for that moment that you stop breathing or whatever it is, you wake up because you stopped breathing or whatever. Um, um, how am I going to say this? Like when you start breathing or like when you, yeah, when breathing like restarts, it's usually through the mouth. Okay. That's what they said. Like that's kind of like your body's reaction is like to breathe through the mouth. But yeah. But if your mouth is taped shut, like what the hell? Like that could be dangerous essentially is what she was saying. Sure. Um, Yeah. So yeah. And then, so this doctor goes on to say there's no, hold on. I'm like really paying attention Again, to like how hard my breathing is now. Like now that we're talking about this, <laughs> all I can think about is like, am I breathing too loud? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, okay. So she says. I'm actually a little bit with... stuffed up today. So I'm like thinking about like, okay, like try to breathe normally. <laughs> I'm like thinking about it too much. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so she, this doctor says, taping the mouth shut is a popular recommendation by many dentists, sleep appliance companies, sleep doctors, orthodontists, chiropractors, and functional medicine doctors. Um, But then she says, what's remarkable is that with all the hype on mouth taping as a method to get quieter sleep, there has not been one case-controlled evidence-based study demonstrating that this actually works. So then she mentions two studies, and I looked at them. Um, One was, they were both very small um, studies. One was like a prospective study from 2015, um, and they they looked at 30 patients, um, and they used like a, and they all had obstructive sleep apnea, um, and they used like a, what they call a porous oral patch over the mouth um, when sleeping. So essentially mouth taping, just like with a porous piece of tape or like patch um and they found like a mild improvement in their sleep apnea um but that's like a really you really can't i'm just asking you here Tarek. like you can't take much from that right that's such a small study and not well no and the interesting part is too like if they're using a porous patch they're still allowing some sort of airflow through the mouth right right Right. So it's not necessarily maybe the mouth taping that um, someone would do themselves at home. Like I'm assuming people are using like normal tape at home. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, And then um, also they only looked at people with obstructive sleep apnea. And um, so, okay, maybe it could show mild improvement for them, but that doesn't mean that for like the general population, it's just going to help you get better sleep. Or like sure you. and even still it was like this it's the same problem over and over again like to really draw a, a critical clinical difference like they'd have to do it so many times in so many different places with different groups of people right like we really we this is not going to change like clinical care necessarily. exactly exactly just this tiny little study okay um and then another study um this one was a little older from 2009 um looked at oh mouth taping as a treatment for asthma um so this one was a randomized single blinded crossover study on 51 participants still not very big um and they saw like no improvement in asthma so those were literally the only studies that were mentioned um and neither of those groups were really targeting like the general population. like quote unquote like mouth breathers yeah either. people who yeah exactly yeah. yeah. So anyways, so, so that was really, there's like no evidence. No one's looked into this mouth taping thing, despite all of this supposed hype. Um, wow. What a strange thing. Yeah. I think, well, I, I feel like no one's looked into it because people are probably like, I don't know. Are people using like duct tape at home? And like <laughs> I don't know. Like in this, the article where they interviewed this doctor, she says like, if you're going to do it, you like, you I mean, she didn't recommend it, but she said, if you're going to do it, like you definitely should be using a porous tape. Um, to allow some sort of airflow. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, I don't know what people out there are using. Um, wow, how strange. I can definitely, you know what? I can see maybe that there's, um, like I've definitely, when I'm really sick and maybe I'm really stuffed up and I'm breathing with my mouth a lot and I go to sleep, I wake up the next day. Like, I think I can sort of, 
I can see how like maybe that might be attractive for dry mouth, but that dry mouth that I would normally have on those days isn't so awful and like destructive to the rest of my day that it like usually it resolves itself within the hour, like after I wake up, you know totally. what I mean? Oh yeah, exactly. And even more like, so past that benefit, I just can't really see it making a substantial difference to something that's like so complicatedly or like complexly regulated by different parts of our brain, our environment, right? like sleep. You know what I mean? Like, well, and like, yeah, I can see why those studies only found mild or no differences at all. Right. And I don't know, like, I, I think if you think about it, if you have obstructive sleep apnea or like, what's the other habitual mouth breathing or something like that, um, you know, a, a condition where, you know, that affects your breathing when you're sleeping or affects your sleep, like you would already be. They seeing... have like CPAP machines. Well, <laughs> like if you have like, that you would condition. You already be talking to, you know, your doctor or someone about this. Oh, sure. Yeah. And yeah. they can make, you know, they would be recommending you things. Exactly. Whether it was a, you know, CPAP machine or um, whatever else um, based on, you know, you as an individual and, um, and your condition. So I just don't like, I don't know why you would be taking this advice from the internet to tape your mouth shut. Um, yeah, absolutely. it always goes back to that, doesn't it? Exactly. And if you're someone who doesn't have, um, obstructive sleep apnea or habitual oral mouth, oral mouth breathing, I don't know, habitual mouth breathing, this other condition where you just breathe through your mouth all the time I think I have that which doesn't really sound like a disease it just sounds like okay some people breathe with their mouths yeah exactly um I don't like unless you are talking to your doctor about those things like if you just get bad sleep generally and 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 it may not have to do with your breathing maybe you do breathe through your mouth maybe you don't but that might not actually be what's affecting your sleep like there's so many other things you can do to improve your sleep like before you tape your mouth, I shut, also feel like calling like that. Yeah, yeah. Do saying? lots of like other like oh, yeah. self care things for your sleep. No, no. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, you're yeah, totally right. There's so many other exactly. things you could do for your sleep. Right before you have to go to. An I, I just feel like the habitual people. mouth breathing thing almost sounds like calling people who have like brown hair like dark pigmented follicular growth, like giving it like some sort of like <laughs> like name. scary name. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, yeah, definitely. It's Anyways. definitely not uh, like some sort of like medical like phenomena that's been like sweeping the nation that I've ever heard about before. Right, right. Yeah, I didn't think so. So anyways, yeah, that's – I'm glad we had this discussion about mouth taping. Um, and thank you again. Keep, for keep that for mouth open that. so you can eat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Oh, yes, thank you, Patricia. Thank you. Okay. Wow. Thank you, Hannah. That's so interesting. Oh, thanks, Tarek. I'm glad we got to talk about it. So now maybe we should just jump into our main topic for this episode. I mean, I I can't help but I think we have to tell everybody, don't you think? The topic? That we made match. Monica, thank you so much. We, uh, we really appreciate everything. Jerry, we love you so much. <laughs> Morgan, we can't imagine doing these baskets without you. Baskets. 
<laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about. Tell them, Tarek. Well, if you don't know what you're talking about, there's a sensation that's been sweeping many nations. Yep. It's Cheer, the Netflix, Netflix documentary cheer. about those badass athletic cheerleaders from Navarro College in Texas who compete at the national level in cheerleading competitions. They're pro athletes at that point. Um, it's yeah. this documentary that people have really like taken to because there's so many personal stories. Um, but Hannah and I thought it would be interesting to talk about because we thought it might be interesting to um, talk about it within the perspective of nutrition and athletics. Totally. Um, so you watched Cheer um, more recently than I did. I watched it over a month ago. So it's, I feel like it's a little more fresh in your mind. And you, when you finished it, you mentioned to me like how much perpetuation of diet culture you saw in the series. So that's kind of what we, okay. So I just said the series and on my computer, um, Siri popped up. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. That's very good. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry, that distracted me. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe maybe you should start out and, and just kind of describe what you, I don't know, what you picked out from Netflix's cheer. And I don't know. Yeah, just like the diety side of things that or the little messages maybe that came through. Absolutely. Um, yeah, okay. I, I'm totally happy to do that. So maybe I'll start off with a little preface. So Again, if you're maybe not too familiar with the show, the show follows um, these students at Navarro College in Texas, and they are uh, they compete as cheerleaders uh, in Navarro College's uh, cheerleading um, program, I guess. Um, and we see them training, we see them practicing, we see them competing, and interspersed throughout all of that is what caught my eye is little bits um, of whether it was bad diet culture stuff or maybe even some good kind of like nutrition uh, diet adjacent things that uh, we saw through the show. There was nothing ever really maybe too specific about these uh, people's nutrition that was discussed on the show. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though uh, there was a lot discussed about their training. Of course, they're athletes. And I think that's interesting because um, maybe it's not as sexy to talk about food as it is to talk about, you know, training to build muscles and strength and stuff like that. But right. I think it's a really important part of athletics uh, to discuss because, especially because these athletes are young people and they're aspiring an even younger generation and these people are obviously, as I'll talk about and we'll talk about through the show, are constantly inundated with uh, diet culture messages that seem pretty harmful. And I even found a study that I'd like to talk about later uh, that cool. talks about this in a little bit more of a, an empirical way. And I'll also add maybe that, you know, just because we didn't really see a lot of maybe positive um training messages around nutrition for these athletes it doesn't mean that they didn't happen maybe it's just the fact that the the show didn't show them monica's their coach i'm not sure maybe if we if she gave if she was giving this kind of messaging or training about good nutrition for 
uh, her athletes, um, like talking about how much they need to eat in order to keep up with all of their physical exertion. I mean, we've all heard the stories of how many calories Michael Phelps has to eat in order to keep his, uh, his, um, his body in gear for swimming um, and stories like that. Uh, and on the other hand, I guess I'll add maybe even though we might reference these, I mean, they're like 10 years younger than me, these students as kids, you know, they're 18, they're adults, they can make their own decisions on how to treat their bodies. But part of me, right. because of some of the things I saw and heard throughout the documentary was wondering if maybe diet culture was getting to them in a bit of a detrimental way. Yeah, I um, think that that age, like university or college age, like 18 to 22 or 23, whatever it is, um, is a huge age for, I don't know, like developing. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about that before too, about how almost like that independence can kind of lead you to, it's like easier to make maybe more harmful decisions. Right. Because you're just at that age where you have a bit more financial independence. Maybe you're actually living on your own now. Nobody's watching you or kind of mentoring you about that depending on your experience. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, and that's actually like where it would be important to have like discussions like that as a team, like hopefully, yeah, whether it was the coach kind of encouraging them, you know, to fuel their bodies properly, or even better if they had like a sports nutritionist or something like that, who came to talk to them about, um, stuff like that, um, that would definitely be helpful. Cause I feel like, yeah, as a college athlete, it can be really hard to navigate um, fueling your body properly. And it's definitely key to have that guidance. So yeah, I wonder if especially they... where they're in like some sort of they're act, they're in a, in a group sport where they're kind of like constantly maybe like judging each other or feeling oh, yeah. judged by each other. That might even make it fester a bit more that kind of diet culture uh, mentality. Right? Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, so maybe Tarek, you can tell us a little bit about, yeah, like what you saw or like what, I don't know, yeah. potentially like unhealthy or, um, diet, diety behaviors you saw. Or should I start off with the good stuff or should I start off with the bad stuff? Ooh, I feel like I'm usually pessimistic stuff. on the show. Yeah. Are so we, maybe I'll be, uh, I'll start with some good stuff. So, um, yeah, exactly. Um, there were some really good things that I saw, and I'm sure there's more than just my list has. But um, I think one really nice thing about the show, and they didn't like, put too heavy of a hand on it. They kind of just like let it be natural. But I think they showed that athletes can look different from each other. There's not mm. one look to an athlete. Athletes can come in all different shapes and sizes. It's not just the quote, like, all-American girl next door that has to be a cheerleader. Right. Um, there was even they had that those uh, in, interviews. Uh, the talking head with them, that author who wrote a book about cheerleading, she even said that, you know, the image of a cheerleader has changed over time, and mm -hmm. that maybe has been a journey through cheerleading just being kind of this uh, vanity sport into becoming this like really like athletic. Oh, yeah. You know, they've talked about how it's like the best of circus, the best of gymnastics, the best of um, like pageantry in this sport. You yeah. know, like they really have to be able to execute some pretty physically exerting uh, skills there. Mm -hmm. It's really, really impressive. So 
that maybe has allowed for in this sport, at least, I wonder if maybe in other sports as well, the look can be different. You know, you don't have to be this like ballerina, quote, thin uh, person in order to be a cheerleader. Um, yeah, I, I also like that in the moments when people were eating, and I'm not saying that this is like necessarily, I'm not saying it's it's like great, but I'm also not saying it's bad. I'm kind of like being neutral about it. I'm kind of just impressed about this when in the moments that people were eating i think most of the time it was fast food like they didn't really show an obsession with clean eating you know what i mean yeah i don't remember i don't actually remember any scenes like or like i don't know nothing there were very few to be honest but there was i like that it it didn't perpetuate the image of like oh they must all be eating only salads all the time like that's not what the show was at all like when they showed them eating it was like when Ladarius ate with his mom where she works at the fast food joint. Okay. And um, when Lexi and some of the other cheerleaders were eating, you know, she was having a hot dog and some of the other cheerleaders were having burgers and fries. Like they weren't afraid to eat what maybe the average viewer would consider to be junk food. Well, that's good. I'm you know what I mean? That. Yeah. And I'm not saying that like, yeah. yeah I, and again, I'm not saying that's like, the diet to go for or anything i'm just saying it's like interesting that especially because they're cheerleaders and there was so much other diet culture stuff that i'll get into and like there's so much focus on the look you know that mentality kind of drives like oh they must be like on a model's diet but no like right. they're eating food like any regular person would eat food what, what i thought that was really good at least so, from what we saw anyways from what we saw exactly at least yeah. from what we saw um Okay, so here's some things that stuck with me that maybe I thought were on kind of the bad spectrum, the bad side of uh, diet culture. Okay. So first of all, you remember, uh, of course, everybody who's watched the show and maybe people who didn't before would know Gabby. Gabby uh, Butler is like maybe the, I guess, from what the show showed and I guess as is evident from her Instagram following is like the most famous like young collegiate cheerleader in America uh, yeah. and maybe the world at this point uh, in uh, collegiate cheering. Gabby uh, okay. has this really um, intense family. Is that how you describe it? Yeah, I would say intense for sure. <laughs> she has an intense family kind of like, and they say they try not, not to micromanage her, but I think her parents are a bit micromanagey and I mean, I'm not a parent, so I don't know what it's like to raise kids, especially somebody that has become a star in their own right. So take what I say with a grain of salt. But I say that there's some pretty uh, pretty good evidence of um, some problematic diet behavior uh, going on in the family, especially Gabby's mom, um, who, by the way, Gabby's mom is like a character all on her yeah, own. Do you remember when... Um, she was first introduced, uh, another person asked her, oh, or, or, like, do you have a daughter here? Which one is your daughter? And Gabby's mom goes, um, I don't know, she's got black hair. <laughs> what? I don't remember that. Like, she didn't even say, like, oh, my daughter's Gabby, like, she's the one over there. She was like, um, I don't know, she's got black hair. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. I, I thought it was so funny. <laughs> But at one point during the show, Gabby's mom, and I wonder if a lot of people will relate to this, but Gabby's mom calls her and says, oh, by the way, did you know jackfruit can keep you full for eight hours? 
if oh you eat jackfruit. God. I do and, remember And she that. follows that up by saying, are you eating clean? <sighs> I know. So there's two, like, there's two bullet holes right there. Like, did you know this food can keep you full for eight hours? That's a restrict. And are you eating clean? That's a big diet culture thing. Yeah, for big sure. stigma thing about food. And I'm I saying this again to like somebody who is in their late teens, somebody who's a college athlete, like she has enough like hurting her already. Like she's talked about online trolls hurting her. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure she's getting inundated with diet culture at school and in athletics, like f- especially coming from a parent. I think that's so harmful. Yeah. Like you do not need that extra pressure oh, from your parents as well. And by the way, I looked it up uh, and of course I, I would have known this, I mean, any any person can guess the answer without looking it up. But of course, jackfruit isn't going to keep you full for eight hours. Like, the, the, that's ludicrous. Like, oh, what's going to keep what? you full? Yeah, what's going to keep you full for a few hours is a balanced meal that's going to have, like, you know, protein, grains, fruits and vegetables. What's going to keep you full is just eating healthy and eating a balanced eating way. Like Satisfying meals, yeah. A satisfying meal, exactly. Um, but also so hours, I, I like, isn't cool. really, unless you're sleeping, like we're not over here recommending that you're going eight hours without eating anyways. So it's like, especially if you're going to be a, a, a athlete, college cheerleader, yeah. like exerting so much energy. I mean, uh, that I think what's problematic with that is not only the diet culture thing of like restrict binge or of dieting in general, but also in that case, like Gabby would be a, a lot more prone or any athlete would be a lot more prone to injury. If they're not fueling their body right. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So that that moment really stuck out to me. Like, I remember as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I I need to talk to Hannah about this. Yeah, for Um, sure. And then there was the moment when, you know, some of the girls were weighing themselves. The girls were... Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. The girls being jealous that Morgan was smaller than them and Morgan kind of obsessing with her weight in general. Yeah. And kind of even connected to that was Monica, the coach, even talking about, quote, having the look for cheer. You know what I mean? Because she wants to get points for what judges might score for overall impression, yeah. which is basically like what read to me as like trying to look good for the patriarchy that awards points for being right. like a skinny blonde girl. Right. And we love our skinny blonde girls, but like, you know, in this case, this is like kind of a detrimental thing to do to an athlete, which is More why... Monica, in part, even wanted Morgan to be on mat in the first place, she says, you know, aside from the fact that Morgan's obviously a very talented cheerleader, she's beyond talented, but she wanted Morgan because she has the look. look. And, you know, and that goes, I think that ties really well into like, you know, Morgan is really, was really tied to her weight. I'm sure a lot of the cheerleaders were. And in part, Uh that's the look that Monica wants to go for. I think it was like, it was a big it was a big uh, red flag for me there. That that really t- diet culture tying in um, with aesthetics and vanity. That was really troublesome for me. Yeah. And I think that kind of, I don't know, shines a light on an issue that probably doesn't just exist in cheerleading. Like I think in many, um, in many sports where your size or your looks um, – have something to do with the sport, whether that's um, like running or track and field or cross country. Um, 
or things like figure skating or gymnastics. Like I think that there's so, there's definitely so much pressure and, um, and definitely a lot of it is like diet culture weaving itself into sport. Um, but yeah, definitely that pressure to like maintain a certain look for the judges or, um, to be faster or whatever it is. And that's, yeah, that sucks. That's sad. That's a really good point. Thank you for saying that. It is sad and it does suck. And, and, and I really, I don't mean to vilify uh, Monica, their coach or any of the cheerleaders at all. Like to, to me, the, the documentary really paints them as heroes. These are people that are are trying very hard in their sport and they want to go far, you know, almost like whatever it takes far. Um, and I, I don't mean to like vilify the individuals at all. Like I love them. I love the show. I love those people. Uh, I followed them on Instagram. Like I really <laughs> like them. But, uh, uh, but but that's not to say that some of the messaging maybe was a little bit problematic. And I almost think that they have this um, this platform now where they can help the younger generation or anybody who's watching really um, make better decisions about their nutrition especially from like the little bits and pieces that we saw that maybe were a bit more negative that we've talked about here yeah i agree that i want to kind of go back to the scene about the girls weighing themselves that one like i said kind of like stuck with me because i feel like i could relate to that one um a lot and i just think about i think about the young cheerleaders who some of those girls coached or who would be watching the documentary or who live in, you know, the same town as them. Um, And like seeing them, I mean, obviously they already look up to them and they probably already see that, you know, these girls who are the, you know, the flyers, the ones that get thrown up in the air um, are, are so tiny. And so already just aspiring to be like that, but then to like, see a scene of them like stepping on the scale and being totally unhappy even though they're already like so small um would be I don't know I feel like as if I was like a teen or even younger like that would have totally influenced me and made me feel like I need to constantly be wanting to be smaller or lighter or whatever totally Um, And and as much as those athletes are, especially those flyers are working so hard and maybe they didn't show them like training at the gym a lot, but I'm sure they do. Like, you know, they're trying to build muscle. They're trying to build strength. I I mean, some people are just born and built a little bit differently and maybe are better suited to be a flyer or better suited to be a tumbler. And they didn't really talk about that. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's also part of that contribution of like, oh, like I... maybe like you're saying those younger viewers are watching and like aspiring to be something that um, maybe just like isn't in line what uh, they might actually be capable of doing which is something just as great and something just as powerful yeah I totally agree Um, yeah so that one I don't know that really resonated me I can remember and I think I've I don't know if I've mentioned it before but like but even at like hockey camp like growing up like I remember going to these high performance hockey camps and doing fitness testing and then being weighed and um and I mean by no means in in ice hockey like weight really like a sure yeah yeah. you know in certain sports like um I don't know like is it like boxing and things like that where you have to maintain a certain weight or whatever your your weight class or I don't know exactly. I don't know what I'm talking about, but do you know what I mean? No, like, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah. Weight plays like has like a 
role in your sport. Like in, in hockey, your weight doesn't really play what the number on the scale doesn't really dictate anything. Um, but anyways, they still weighed us. And like, I remember like being in line to get weighed with my friend and like then getting weighed and being like way higher than, I don't know. We were like 14, but being, you know, being higher on, um, in weight than like my friend and, and the girls around me or whatever. And, and it stuck with me. And I like totally focused in on the fact that like my friend was like X amount lighter than I was. And like, totally, and so yeah. when in reality, like now knowing that genetically and like just the way my body is built, like weighing as much as she did then like was physically like impossible for me and right, just right. based on my bone structure and stuff like Absolutely. that. And anyways, as a even an adolescent you don't realize those things like you don't know that like your yeah just like the way that you're shaped or whatever is just it's not possible for you to weigh x amount and and so you you think all right this cheerleader weighs this so that's what I'm gonna weigh and I'm gonna try to lose weight so I can be just like that. right I don't know it was I mean, like you're saying, Lexi wasn't trying to be a flyer. Like she saw her skills like, wow, she she's like this female stumbler. Like, that's so cool. And that was so unique. And that really gave her her own niche in the on the on the team. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, everybody was like playing to their uh, strengths for sure. Yeah, I just think about like, again, people watching. Exactly. They even said Morgan's like, wait, right? like the number that was on the scale. I don't remember. I remember. Was, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, you're, I think Jerry even so... like Matt talked it at one point. He was like yelling the number. Really? Oh my God. Yeah. I know. Yeah, so... It's so Anyways. like, it, it, it infiltrates everything. It does. It does. Yeah. Um. So one thing that I, I guess I kind of want to transition into is like, kind of the bigger picture around athletes and weight and, and eating. Um, and something that um, I feel like is really common and, and almost it kind of, I thought about it a little bit when watching cheer, you know, when, um, and it, it may not have anything to do with this girl's specific injury, but the girl who like got dropped on the floor and like broke her arm. Oh, uh, Sherbs. Sherbs. Is that her name? Yeah, that's her nickname, yeah. Okay, (laughs) that's so funny. I love that you know that. Just off the top of your head. Um, But anyway, I'm moving to Texas. Like, I'm joining the team. (laughs) (laughs) When that happened, um, it made me think about the, what's called, I I mean, I think it's known as two different things at this point, but, and, and I don't know if you've heard of it, but the female athlete triad. No, I haven't heard of that. You haven't heard of that? I think it, it now they also have started to refer to it as, um, hold on, REDS, which okay. is REDS syndrome, um, which is relative energy deficiency in sports. Okay. So both, I think they're um, interchangeable, the, the titles, but um, basically what it is, is it's um, a condition um, that's mainly observed in female athletes. That's why they called it the female athlete triad um, initially. Um, so it's mainly observed in physically active females um, and it involves three different components. So one is low energy availability 
um, with or without disordered eating. So low energy availability is essentially um, like based on what you're eating, you know, the amount that you're eating and the amount that you're of the amount of energy you're expending, like what's left over or what's available for you to actually use for the rest of your body's functions. Um, right. So right. low energy availability would mean that you're, you know, you're not eating enough um, for the amount that you're exercising in order to like maintain normal health and, and body functioning. Um, does that right. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then the, the second component is menstrual dysfunction. So whether that's like an irregular period or losing your period or um, like amenorrhea, totally. Um, and then the third is low bone density. So that's kind of where her breaking her arm, like, it, I don't know, it just, I'm not saying she has that at all. Yeah, yeah. Very well could, you know, have fallen really hard on her arm and broken her arm. But it just, the fact that she broke her arm and, you know, she's an athletic female, um, you know, maintaining, again, could be totally, you know, maintaining this because it's her like set weight, but maintaining a, you know, a low body weight. Um, anyways, it made me think for of- her sport. No, yeah. absolutely. And, and it, it, it all that also makes me think of, you know, Monica as a coach, but probably lots of other coaches, uh, maintaining this stoicism in the face of, um, one of their athletes kind of maybe getting an injury, whether it's minor or major, and kind of like leaving it up to them if they want to keep going or not, you know, and right. again, you know, th- even though they're in school, like, technically, these people are adults, like they can make their own decisions about their bodies. But I do hope in a, in a situation where, you know, they're like basically pro athletes. Like we talked about mm-hmm. the, on the show, we talked about how at the collegiate level, like cheerleading is that's like the highest you can go. So technically like, you know, they're the, they're at the highest peak in their career in this certain sport. Like you would hope that their trainers and their coaches are looking out for their health, you know, for their best interest and not just like only maintaining the stoicism to kind of like keep a calm demeanor. But, you know, at some point, if you're, if you're starting to see signs, like I'm hoping and I'm guessing like good coaches are, pulling these athletes aside and saying, I know like whatever you're 18, you're 19, you're 21, like you can make your own decisions, Mm -hmm. but like, I need you to be at your top shape. And that includes, uh, you know, not just your, like the, the vanity of your physical health, but also the nutrition that's supplying you with energy in order to maintain it. You know what? Like, I, I think, I feel like you're giving in a way you're almost giving, people the benefit of the doubt there where like and I'm not saying Monica like pushed people to their you know um yeah I mean there's so much we didn't see we don't know um that she was encouraging the girls to diet or or be thinner or anything like that but I think that it's a lot more common I don't know for coaches to either be a little bit oblivious to I'm sorry if you're a coach I don't mean to offend anyone but just from my experience and and you know terrible stories that I've heard um, of coaches being really either like oblivious to their athletes having, you know, experiencing disordered eating or poor body image and and dieting and, and then having negative health outcomes because of it or coaches encouraging it, like telling their athletes that they need to be thinner or they, in order to be faster or in order to, you know, be thrown higher in the air. They need to be, they need to lose this amount of weight or they need to meet this specific weight. 
um, and things like that. And, um, and I've like, I haven't experienced it personally. You know, I never, I I never, I didn't participate really growing up, um, competitively in any sports that, you know, really my weight was dependent on my success or, um, you know, like a lot of people, or like your, even your perceived success. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Even like, so in, for instance, though, um, I had a friend who did like, um, college level cross country and track and, and she had experiences with coaches encouraging her to try different diets and things like that in order to maintain, um, a lower weight. And she already, you know, was experiencing a lot of disordered eating habits and, and was already, experiencing like issues with her period and, um, and she was quite thin and, um, and then, you know, continuously dieting led her to like stress fractures in her feet and things like that. So, um, and, and that made me, so I'm kind of going a little bit away from cheer here, but it also kind of reminds me of, um, the story that came out, I think in late 2019 about the, runner Mary Kane. Have you heard of her? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, through our conversations. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You've told me about, uh, Mary Kane before, but yeah, Yeah. no, I'm excited to hear it again because I think you're right. It's so relevant. Yeah. So if, if anyone, I don't know if you guys, um, read or watched, um, the video about Mary Kane that came out. Yeah. I think, near the end of 2019. Um, she's, um, an American runner. Um, you know, when she was 16, there was, you know, people were saying that, you know, she's the, the best runner in the world, or she's going to be the best runner in the world. Um, the fastest runner, fastest woman in America, things like that. Um, and when she was 16, she was contacted by, um, Alberto Salazar at Nike. Um, and he was, um, the head coach at like the Nike headquarters or Nike world headquarters, um, where like one of their big training camps. Um, and he contacted her and told her like that she was the best and he'd never seen anybody run like her before and whatnot. And, um, and then when she entered college, um, she decided to go train, um, full time at this Nike headquarters with this coach, Alberto Salazar. And, um, Anyways, this the story that came out about her and and she she came out talking about this um is that like she ended up being like quite emotionally and and physically abused by this coach and um and nothing was really done about it and a lot of it had to do with her weight and um and him just like picking a number um that he wanted her to weigh and like putting immense pressure on her to get down to that weight. And, and, you know, she just said that, um, after being at this headquarters for a short amount of time, her quote was that like, um, suddenly this all male Nike staff was convinced that she needed to get thinner like that. And that's so heartbreaking. Isn't that horrible? And Um, Salazar is actually like, he's, uh, since we've talked, like I've learned a bit more about him and, He's like a really like skeevy, mm. cheaty coach, like makes his athletes go through the ringer, uh, uh, like almost at the edges of what might be considered doping in order to right. increase their performance. And there's a lot going on there that's wrong, including this like terrible treatment of athletes like Mary Kane. Yeah, exactly. So he was actually, 
um, removed from like his position as the coach and, and they shut down that Nike headquarters. Um, and, and in Mary Kane's video, she, she mentions that that was mainly because of like doping investigations and things that were going on, but some of it also had to do with, you know, the abuse, um, of athletes like her, you know, related to her weight and things like that. Um, so she goes on to say that, um, you know, none of the people that, well, she didn't have any like nutritionists or sports psychologists or anything like that available to her. Um, the only people that, you know, gave her advice or told her what to do were like Alberto and his like co-coaches or essentially friends. Um, and, and the shitty thing is, but it's not surprising at all is that her performance, like just continued to drop as they encouraged her to lose weight. Like she just got worse at running. She didn't get any better, right. but they just blamed it on her not meeting the weight that they wanted her to be, um, which makes it's no so sense. Ridiculous. Uh, I mean, there's no so much misogyny all. also like um, meshed up with that, with that kind of uh, bad treatment. Like it's oh, misogyny absolutely. and diet culture. It's so much. It's so much. And um, so anyway, so she eventually mentions that she she experienced this um, female athlete triad or REDS or RED syndrome. Um, that So she lost her period, which eventually led to her. Um, so I guess she explains it. I mean, um, in her video that she lost her period. And when you lose your period, you're not producing enough um, of certain hormones like um, estrogen to promote good bone health. So your bone health also declined. So she ended up breaking five different bones as well. So that's kind of that female oh athlete triad right there. Like she wasn't, she had low energy availability. She was probably training so, so much, um, and so, so hard and trying to lose weight. So definitely not eating enough to, um, for the amount that she was training. And then she eventually loses her period and then breaks five bones, um, you know, during this time where they were, um, essentially abusing her, um, and telling yeah. her, wait. um, and then eventually, and that even led into her, like her mental health kind of crumbling after that too. So she eventually like talks about having suicidal thoughts and, and beginning to, um, self-harm and things like that. So, um, and then anyway, she continues and says that, she told people about what she was experiencing with her mental health and the self-harm and really no one intervened. Um, and eventually she like told her parents everything and, you know, they immediately pulled her out of um, the headquarters right. and stuff like that. Um, and then she came out about this whole story um, fairly recently. But anyway, so I just, I guess talking about this with you, yeah, really made me think about that story and, and just this, yeah, that Im immense pressure in some sports to, reach a certain weight or to maintain a certain look. Um, and that can really lead to a lot of negative health outcomes. I think that's the perfect way to, to sum up what we've been talking about. It's all about, you know, in athletics, we need to care for our bodies just as we do outside of athletics. Yeah. Almost um, like more so not that like, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Athletes don't deserve to take care of themselves. They absolutely do. Um, but as an athlete, you almost have to be a little more like meticulous about caring for yourself, like about eating enough and about getting enough, um, rest time and, and letting your muscles, um, recover and, and your bones, like supporting your bone health and make sure that you're not getting injured and things like that. Um, 
is so, so important. And totally sometimes it gets overlooked, like just because I don't know, there's this, even though like, it's crazy to me that even though these like really high up or like highly recognized coaches and things like that, you know, you'd think that they would know coaching these elite athletes that what, what the athletes really need in order to be their best. But for some reason, sometimes it's, they're almost, these athletes are almost pushed in the opposite direction. Well, you know what, Uh, maybe we're getting to about an hour. I wonder, um, I, I actually, if we can get into some tasties, I'm very happy to make my tasty of the week, uh, the, the kind of scientific paper that I read. Oh yeah, uh, okay. Sorry, I totally to Oh no, 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 no. Uh, it's I'm just gonna talk about something very, very brief from it. So I mean, maybe we'll get into our tasties now. And uh, th- I actually love this paper so much and it's tasty to me for a few different reasons. Okay. It's actually um it's a master's thesis uh, by a student called Christopher Blaska, B-L-A-S-Z-K-A, from the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. And uh, uh, Blaska looked at um, a cheerleaders' body image and found that there was a high ratio of male and female, female cheerleaders that have body image dissatisfaction. Maybe mm. not so surprising um, there was that there was this uh, evidence, especially because there's also evidence for increased uh, eating disorders in athletes like uh, cheerleaders. And there's lots of uh, literature out there uh, relating to eating disorders and cheerleaders for people to look at if they want to. Um, uh, There's two really interesting things uh, from this thesis uh, that I thought was really, really well written. I I was so pleased to read a student's paper about this. It was it was a really good synthesis of some of the material out there. Uh, Christopher did use um, did ask for reported BMI, but it really, really nicely in the discussion, uh, Blaska wrote um, the BMI has uneven intervals and should be interpreted with caution. The BMI silhouettes that were reported are a beneficial way to get an inexpensive and quick glimpse into body satisfaction, but for more accurate results, other means of testing should be considered. I thought that was really, really nicely put. Just a really good definition of how BMI ought to be used or a really good explanation of how it ought to be used. But anyway, I... To get into what was really tasty about it, what I really learned about it is exactly what you were talking about, kind of um, what we were both talking about, where the responsibility of the coaches ought to lie with regards to these, um, maybe the eating habits of their of their athletes, especially cheerleaders. Uh, so what I learned mm-hmm. is that uh, cheerleading is not considered a varsity sport. It's not included in the NCAA Um And therefore, it's not held to the same standards as other varsity sports for things like weight control and banned substances. So it's, it's, yeah, exactly. So it's this thing where like, they're, they're basically a pro sport, but they're not included in the collegiate system because you learn through cheer that there's kind of this like monopoly over uh, cheer athletics through this one company. Um, and therefore there aren't stringent rules about whether or not a physician or a health practitioner needs to be available for these athletes, 
during trainings. So mm. it, it, uh, Blaska makes this argument that if it was to be considered a varsity sport, then you would have these same standards being upheld if the NCAA adopted cheerleading into their policies. They would right. face, he says, the same stressors as Division I varsity sports. It would also take the self-regulation away from universities and coaches, and you'd have stricter guidelines, and the coaches would need to focus on their teams to make sure they're healthy mm-hmm. and ensure that cheerleaders are not harming their bodies. I, I really like this paper, wow. and I really like that discussion uh, it was just like a really, you know, uh, interesting point that, you know, these are athletes. Why not include them in the NCAA system? Yeah. Make sure that they're being treated like other varsity athletes that are being held to certain guidelines. Yeah. So that makes me think like, you know, earlier, even um, in in this discussion, how we said, you know, we don't know if they had a sports nutritionist or someone talk to them. They probably didn't if they're not. Like, yeah, so they're not mandated to have that kind of thing available. Right. Whereas like a, yeah, a, an NCAA. A football team or, or whatever yeah. would. Yeah, like most, I feel like universities um, in in the in the States anyways, or colleges um, often have um, dietitians or sports nutritionists like um, working for them who, who kind of serve all the teams there or certain teams um, at the colleges and, and they likely wouldn't have had that at yeah, Navarro College. Yeah, and again, not to say that their coaching wasn't making sure that they were at a right. healthy weight right. for their bodies. And we, you know, again, we didn't see so much in the documentary, but it just opened my eyes to the possibilities, um, maybe in other programs. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And I'm sure uh, Monica Aldama, like, you know, the whole country's eyes are on her like I'm sure that program is maybe at like the top of the line like I'm sure they're taking care of their athletes really well right especially because they have they have Hawkeyes on them now you know like the whole country countries are watching them but not to say that diet culture isn't slipping into their program either you know yeah yeah for sure anyway so that's my tasty I love it um that's really really interesting um I'm glad that you brought it up um, Thank you. Okay. What's been tasty for you? So I actually have a non-food related tasty thing this week as well. Um, okay. And it's it's actually another podcast episode that I listened to recently. Um, and it's actually another, I believe it's still local to us, podcast. Um, Sick Boy Podcast. You oh, yeah. It. Yeah. So on, um, I mean, the, the three hosts on Sick Boy Podcast are from Alpax, um, and they, um, as you can kind of tell from the, the name of the podcast, they, you know, they have discussions around chronic illness, and they interview people with chronic illness and, and disabilities and, and various um, conditions about living, you know, their lives with um, certain disabilities and, um, and things like that, and, and just um, having open conversations about, um, about different things. Yeah. Anyways. So I, sorry, I'm trying to go really quick cause I know we're, um, oh, okay. running out of time here, but, um, they actually had on their podcast, I think it just came out this week. Um, someone who I know personally, actually, um, I went to school with her at the Mount. Um, and she's currently pursuing her master's in dietetics at the Mount. Um, and, and her research actually revolves around weight bias, um, in healthcare. And so they had her on, um, sick boy podcast to talk about 
weight stigma and fat bias um, and, and all of those issues um, and kind of and, and like diet culture. And um, so it was really, I listened to it, I think just yesterday and it was, um, I was so happy um, when I saw that, you know, they had someone on to have a discussion about this and, um, and she killed it. Her name's um, Meredith. Uh, she absolutely, absolutely killed it. Um, Go Meredith. She's so well-spoken. Yeah. Um, and she really like, she kind of like, like they had a lot of the three hosts, you know, they obviously had a lot of questions. They weren't really familiar with, um, you know, a lot of the things that the, the points that she was bringing up and, and all of the, the issues surrounding weight bias and, and the way that, um, you know, fat people are often mistreated and um, yeah. in, in the healthcare system and beyond. And, um, you know, they had a lot of questions and, and, and they even got into discussions about like good versus bad food and, and why we make the decisions around our, our eating choices and our exercise choices and things like that. Um, and she, yeah, I was just so happy listening to it. She really killed it. And, and she answered all their questions so wonderfully. And like, I, I think that, anyone who listens to that is going to learn so much. And I don't know, I was just really like proud to see that um, one that they, you know, they brought someone on to talk about that and two that she just did such a good job. Um, oh, I yeah. love that so much. So everyone um, listening here, um, if you haven't listened to that um, episode of sick boy podcast, um, definitely do so it's called fat bias and it is their episode two twenty seven. So yeah, we'll list. link it in the show notes too. Um, yeah. with a couple of other things that we talked about today. That's so cool. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe right. we should sneak in one more tasty. Okay, let's do it. Well, I think this is for both of us and our tasty is really everybody that's listening. This is our season finale and oh my God, we yeah. can't believe how many people it's reached out to. Thank you so much for listening and sharing. We've had so much fun doing it and learning alongside you and we are so grateful for any feedback that we get. Uh, it's been so much fun to do and we're looking forward to doing more in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I guess we never really explained um, how our seasons are, are going to work. Um, so if you're still here and still listening, um, basically, yeah, we wanted our first season. It was really, it's, you know, it was kind of a trial um, of how the podcast was going to work. And, and so we set a number, you know, 10 episodes for our first season, um, that will give us, you know, a lot of good practice recording and editing and, and getting a feel for what we want to talk about and, and just seeing, yeah, the people that we can reach and, and stuff like that. So, um, now we're, we're at episode 10 and, and we're, yeah, we're going to take a little break. Um, but not really a break because we will, be recording um, yeah. the whole <laughs> yeah. time that you guys aren't aren't hearing from us um but we'll still be active on you know on our social media pages and and if you haven't you know if there's episodes you haven't listened to yet be sure to you know fill your time um during that little break catching up and listening to all of the episodes um and we cannot yeah, share it with someone you know share it with someone who yeah, might enjoy it the word um and yeah we can't wait to come back with season two we already have so many we have a huge like master list of topics to cover that we didn't even get to yeah yeah it'll be really really good um yeah so if you guys have not um left us a rating or a review please do so um it really helps us out and we love to read your reviews um there's really nothing better absolutely thank you so much Hannah I can't believe we did it 
we did it we're not even together <laughs> i know <laughs> um, um okay okay so we will i miss you everyone see you in season two <laughs> bye, bye. Bye. <laughs>